This is episode 4 of Hidden Hosea. I'm Josh Snow, and I want to share what I've learned from Hosea about love that lasts forever. Hosea's prophecy tells us that he had forgiven his unfaithful wife Gomer and looked to renew their marriage. But Hosea and the rest of the Bible are silent as to whether the prophet and his wife ultimately reconciled. Nevertheless, I learned three things from Hosea about love that lasts forever. First, I learned about love that does not last forever. Second, I learned the dangers of a love that lasts forever. And third, I learned the joy of a love that lasts forever. So first, from Hosea, I learned about love that doesn't last forever. We do not know if Hosea's attempted reconciliation to Gomer resulted in marital restoration. All we know is that the prophet did everything he could to make his marriage to Gomer work. God designed marriage as the relational vessel within which one man and one woman are to navigate life. Yet ever since the fall, marriage is a union of two broken and fallen people. It is the union of two sinners. Even the best marriages end when one of the partners die, and some marriages end in divorce. Through the prophet Malachi, God tells us he hates divorce. Yet in First Chronicles, we encounter a man named Shaha Raim, who is the first named divorcee in the Bible. Throughout Mosaic law, divorce is recognized and regulated with provisions made for it. However, divorce was not part of God's original design or intent for marriage. Pastor J. Adams notes that divorce is a human institution. Adams calls divorce man's innovation to God's institution of marriage. Jeffrey Bromley observed that the Mosaic law of divorce is God's concession to hard-hearted people. On Mount Sinai, Moses mediated the covenant relationship between God and his nation Israel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Hosea all refer to God as the husband of the nation of Israel. But Israel was continually worshiping other gods and being spiritually unfaithful to God. So God eventually identified himself as a divorced person. Biblical scholars have interpreted God's words in Hosea 2 she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, as a declaration of divorce. In Isaiah chapter 50, God asked, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? In Jeremiah chapter 3, God declared, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. The divine union between God and His people had indeed been broken, 
but that broken marriage is also spoken of as expecting healing and having redemption in the New Testament. The entire Old Testament could be read as a failed marriage between God and His people, while the New Testament proclaims the ultimate hope of His restoration. Randy Alcorn writes, quote, Earthly marriage is a shadow, a copy, an echo of the true and ultimate marriage. Once that ultimate marriage begins, at the Lamb's wedding feast, all the human marriages that pointed to it will have served their noble purposes and will be assimilated into the one great marriage they foreshadow. Unquote. So whether marriage ends in the death of one of the partners or whether marriage ends in divorce, this side of eternity, marital love is love that doesn't last forever. Secondly, I learned from Hosea the dangers of a love that lasts forever. Suffering infidelity breaks your heart. The hopelessness, the hurt, the humiliation can be overwhelming. But when you come to the end of yourself, Hosea shows us that God is waiting with open and understanding arms. God, too, has suffered infidelity and unfaithfulness. It is impossible to regain what was lost. Yet if we choose to receive God's love, if we follow Hosea and decide to forgive, we start the healing process and the renewal and the restoration of our hearts. But if we are unable to let go of what we had, if we are consumed with anger, bitterness, and self-justification, or if we are consumed with regret, low self-esteem, and self-loathing, we can become so preoccupied with ourselves that we won't be able to heal at all. When Jesus said, Love your neighbor as you love yourself, Jesus assumed that we have self-love. And certainly, it is healthy to have a certain amount of self-love, a self-appreciation for the individual God made each of us to be. The dangers of self-love arise when you love yourself more than you love God. The Latin phrase, homo incurvitus inse, translates to the self curved inward on oneself. Martin Luther used the phrase to describe a life lived inward for oneself rather than outward for God and others. Living with one's heart curved inward on itself means to live a self-preoccupied life. In the Old Testament, God continuously forgives Israel for committing spiritual adultery. Hosea forgave Gomer for her many affairs. And Jesus tells us to forgive our debts as God has forgiven our debts. But living homo incurvitus inse, living life inwardly for myself, I could get so caught up in myself that I look for reasons not to forgive. If I see my virtue as the moral high ground, as a reason not to forgive, or if I am so focused on my hurt 
and my humiliation that I refuse to forgive, I put myself in danger of loving myself more than I love God. Pastor Keith Boyd has put it this way, The problem is that when someone has sinned against you, you can exact payment to get what you deserve. If they don't pay up, you put them in prison. It may not be behind literal bars, but you imprison them behind the bars of your resentment, which literally means to feel again. Resentment clings to the past, relives it over and over so that the wound never heals. In the end, while you are trying to punish your debtor, you are the one who gets tortured. The problem with this approach is you wind up in prison as well. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever, and this must be either true or false. Now there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I am going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable, but it might be absolute hell in a million years. Unquote. Repentance is turning away from oneself turning away from one's virtues as well as from one's vices, to look to God for forgiveness and salvation. The Old Testament uses the word turn to describe repentance. Those who truly repent turn their backs on their sins and turn their backs on their righteousness to come to seek God. During Hosea's life, the Israelites were very religious people who thought they understood what it meant to worship God. They assumed God would forgive them because they went through the motions of being very religious. But their passionate, self-constructed worship of false gods rendered their repentance worthless. The Israelites assumed God had to forgive them. In Hosea chapter 6, we read the Israelites' disingenuous repentance. Come, let us return to the Lord. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will restore us that we may live in His presence. But God knew that their repentance was hollow, because although they confessed with their lips, they had not given Him their hearts. Their hearts were turned inward on their own desires, and gradually their hearts hardened to God's love. The dangers of living a life curved inward on itself is that your heart and soul gradually become hardened to God and you become unable to come to God to receive His love and forgiveness. You become, as Tim Keller calls it, unrepentable. So from Hosea I learned that inordinate self-love can imprison me in the past forever. Thirdly, I learned from Hosea about the joy of love that lasts forever. Hosea connects love and death. He explains how failing to love God ultimately leads to the unraveling and eventual death of all love relationships. When Adam and Eve were unfaithful to God in the garden, 
It was the beginning of the end of man's relationship with God, the relationship with each other, and the eventual disintegration of all other relationships. But Hosea's name means God saves, so in the end, God conquers all. Hosea looked forward to resurrection and spending eternity with God. In Hosea chapter 13, we read God proclaiming, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Centuries later, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, St. Paul quoted Isaiah and Hosea. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The Gospels record how the disciples had seen Jesus walk on water, heal the sick, give sight to the blind, and tame nature. They had seen him do all these miracles, and during that time, they were doubting him, arguing with him, complaining to him, and denying him. When Jesus was led away to his death, they all abandoned him and scurried away in fear for their lives. Later, many of these disciples were tortured and died horrible deaths. All they had to do to avoid these awful deaths was to deny Jesus. After all, they denied him while he was alive, and then he died. Why wouldn't they deny him when they faced their own deaths? The only thing that could have changed them is that they had seen him come back from the dead. Jerry Sitzer writes, quote, We can hope for one thing. The kingdom's victory is inevitable. God's word says it, and Christ's resurrection proves it. The resurrection is the link between our hope for renewal and our awareness of decay and death. It is the link between future and present because it represents the future invading the present, unquote. Christ's resurrection gives us, in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, quote, a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief, unquote. Because of Christ's resurrection, we can look forward to Christ's return. All creation eagerly awaits the return of Jesus Christ to the wedding on the edge of forever. St. John tells us, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When Jesus started his earthly ministry at the Cana wedding, his first miracle turned water into wine. With the church as his bride, all miracles and celebrations will pale in comparison when the true bridegroom returns. Revelation is the last book of the Bible and the only book of prophecy in the New Testament. St. John tells us that the end of time, heaven above, is aimed down at us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God.
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's Revelation chapter 21. Deep down inside, we sense that we were meant for eternity. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. I learned from Hosea that we were living in the midst of the greatest love story ever told, the story of God's love for people. From the perspective of eternity, Hosea knew that he would eventually be in God's loving embrace. In Jesus' arms, we will have the joy of love that lasts forever. I'm Josh Snow. Thank you for listening to Hidden Hosea, a conversation on God, infidelity, and restoration.